If you're an avid listener to this podcast, you know that we like to do the hot take of the week segment from time to time. Normally, we save this for the end of an episode so both Grant and I can comment. But a recent hot take by a Fort Worth Star-Telegram columnist was so polarizing that I'm opening the show with my take on his take. Mac Ingalls' column titled, Slow Down on the Lincoln-Riley Genius Talk, came out last Tuesday, and the Sooners faithful wasn't happy with the piece. Most of the criticism I saw revolved around the fact that Ingle had previously written a column arguing Texas Tech should hire Art Bryles. He wrote another column last month arguing the media narrative surrounding Art Bryles is, quote, a giant F. Ingle has these columns in his background, and now he's criticizing Lincoln Riley. That didn't seem to sit well with a lot of people on social media. I think it's important to separate Ingle's previous work because his most recent column about Lincoln Riley has absolutely nothing to do with Art Bryles. And I'd rather avoid that discussion altogether because, frankly, I'm not qualified to properly lay out all the nuanced details that would be required for a fair conversation. Ingalls' column on Riley begins with a pretty bold statement, quote, Oklahoma's inability to win a college football playoff game with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray as the starting quarterback in consecutive seasons is the single biggest waste in the history of the Big 12, end quote. Ingalls not just talking Big 12 football, he's talking all Big 12 sports, citing Bill Self's great regular seasons at Kansas among Texas football recruiting classes and then Texas A&M in general. Considering LSU won a national title with Matt Mock and another one with Matt Flynn, and Alabama won a title with Jake Coker and also Greg McElroy, and the Sooners had the two quarterbacks who put together the two best statistical seasons for a quarterback in college football history, it's fair to say not winning a title with Mayfield or Murray was disappointing or maybe even a waste. I mean, we say it all the time here on this podcast, and Sooners fans say it all the time as well. OU had two of the best quarterbacks college football has seen maybe ever for Kyler Murray, one of the best seasons ever, and Oklahoma didn't win a national title, let alone a playoff game. That's not a good look. Ingle's opening line isn't crazy and very defensible. But after that, he doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It takes three paragraphs for Ingle to make a claim and then contradict that claim. He says, quote, Oklahoma's Godzilla grip on the Big 12 is over, and life for Lincoln Riley is about to get real, real quick. Even the best coaches look a lot dumber when they don't have the players to make them look smart, end quote. Then two paragraphs later, Ingle writes, quote, now Riley will have to start a kid at quarterback who's only won a national championship. However, will he survive? End quote. So which is it? Does Riley not have the players anymore to make him look smart? Or does he? Ingle, to his credit, does answer that question two paragraphs later, saying, quote, Hertz is simply not good enough to do for the Sooners what Riley needs. End quote. Ingle continues, quote, Hertz is a good player who needs players around him, whereas guys like Baker and Kyler were better than everyone else. Baker and Kyler could make a series or a game one on 11 and win. Ingles right about Mayfield and Murray. You could put the game on their shoulders and they could deliver. You know who else showed that he could deliver in a situation that neither Mayfield nor Murray ever did? Jalen Hurts, last year in the SEC championship game. 
As awesome as Mayfield played in his three years as a starter, he never brought the Sooners back from a two-touchdown second-half deficit in a game as big as the conference championship, which might as well be a playoff game. And in his one year as a Sooner starting quarterback, Kyler Murray almost single-handedly brought OU back to beat Texas at the Cotton Bowl, but the Sooners lost, and that game didn't have true playoff stakes. Ingle says late in his column that, quote, for the first time since Riley took over, he won't have the top pick in the NFL draft playing quarterback. Losing that type of talent exposes a coach, and now we will see just how good and smart Lincoln Riley is, end quote. Will Jalen Hurts be the top pick in the 2020 NFL draft? Probably not. But he's got a much better chance of being one of the top quarterbacks selected next April because he now has Lincoln Riley on his side. In Mac Ingle's world, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray made Lincoln Riley, not the other way around. If you ask Lincoln Riley about those two quarterbacks, Riley always directs all of the praise to each of them. Riley never stops complimenting their special talents because Riley knows both of those players are incredibly special. But turn the tables and ask Mayfield and Murray, those guys each wax poetic about the kind of tutelage and guidance Riley has provided them. They know that if it wasn't for Lincoln Riley, they wouldn't have reached their full potential during their college careers. There's a lot of football coaches that would not have been able to get the same performance out of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. For example, Cliff Kingsbury had Mayfield at Texas Tech, but didn't embrace him as Tech's long-term starter. You saw how Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley handled Baker Mayfield for the first half of the 2018 season. They found a way to hold Mayfield back. Freddie Kitchens took the reins, was open to new ideas, and trusted Mayfield's ability. And just like that, Mayfield was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL the last half of the season. Not just one of the best rookie quarterbacks, one of the best NFL quarterbacks, period. Kevin Sumlin had Kyler Murray for a season at Texas A&M and just mismanaged the entire quarterback room in College Station. I remember. I was there. It was a mess. Lincoln Riley is the first coach to ever have back-to-back -back Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. That's a credit to the players and certainly a credit to the guy who put them both in incredible positions to succeed. Mac Engel wants to slow down on the genius talk? Well, you're going to have to be a little bit more specific, Mac, because Lincoln Riley is most certainly an offensive genius, and that's not even up for debate. Now, if you want to criticize his Oklahoma defenses the past two seasons, well, that's fair game. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Two receivers to each side, including the tight end, Hannah, to the left. Jones sings one back of the end zone, caught. Touchdown, Dewan Miller. Juan Miller welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Miller's 11-yard touchdown catch from Landry Jones gave the Sooners a 14-0 lead over Kansas State back in October of 2011. OU went on to beat the Wildcats 58-17. I decided to go with a Dewan Miller play for this intro this week because, well, the episode came out on the 24th and Miller wore number 24, so uh, very scientific. Also, Dewan Miller was a decently exciting player when he played at Oklahoma. Hey everyone, once again, I am Lee Benson. We'll bring Grant here in a minute. 
I'll ask him if he's got any thoughts on that Mac Ingle column about Lincoln Riley. We'll also talk about a story from the recruiting trail that affects the current Oklahoma roster. Alex Grinch allegedly said some negative things about the Sooners' defense. Lincoln Riley addressed those comments last week at Media Days. Grant and I will lay it all out there for you. Also on today's show, a couple of grab bag topics. First up, could Texas actually be headed towards a down season? Grant's favorite guy, Bill Connolly, his S&P formula doesn't seem to really like the Horns a lot or doesn't seem to really favor the Horns in the preseason. And also, Phil Steele has some trepidation regarding the Horns. Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald said some stuff about technology affecting attendance at football games last week at Big Ten Media Days. So sure, let's let's talk about that. Why not? Plus, Mina Kimes recently released a long-form piece on Baker Mayfield. There's one part of her story that I found to be pretty darn interesting, so we'll get into that as well. And you know what? Uh, just to clarify, I think we're done with our way-too-early opponent previews for this summer. The season is obviously a lot closer now. Fall camp begins next week. That is right, next week. The Oklahoma Football Media Day is on Friday, August the 2nd. Training camp usually follows right after that. So uh, when it comes to opponent previews, we're all done with that stuff. My apologies if you were looking forward to the last five opponents on the Sooner schedule. Stick with us throughout the regular season. Obviously, we'll get to those teams when those games come up on the schedule. All right, time to bring in Grant. Grant, let's start with your takeaways from that Matt Mac Ingle column that I discussed during my opening take. Well, Lee, this is what I just told you right before we went on because I actually just read it for the first time just about five to ten minutes ago. Kind of before that, I had seen other people summarize it, so I knew kind of what the gist of it was. And my takeaway of it was I only needed to read the summaries of it because it's not a particularly convincing column. Not, And I, I told you, I think his premise is actually defensible saying, hey, you know, Lincoln Riley actually blew it. He just had he just had maybe the two quarterbacks who had the best seasons ever for a quarterback in college football back-to-back seasons, and he didn't win a national title. A perfectly defensible premise, I think. Uh, Mac Ingle doesn't do a very good job of, of defending his premise. So you didn't hear me do my opening take because I recorded that at a separate time. Have you had a chance to read any of my opening take? No, I do it live, baby. I listen to All it. Right. I, I listen to it with the rest of the uh, with with everyone else. All right. So the reason I bring that up there is so Grant really has no idea what I said that all of you have already heard it and he doesn't really know what I said. So I'll just kind of bring a couple points for my take in since you haven't heard it yet. Uh, there's a point in his article where he's talking about how Jalen Hurts just isn't good enough he's not you know what Lincoln Riley usually needs or or wants at the quarterback position and so and he tries to argue about how he just his talents just aren't going to be good enough for you know what Riley needs to make the Oklahoma offense what it has been okay Uh, but I kind of argued that there's a player in college football that like Baker Mayfield and like Kyler Murray has also jumped up in a massive situation and honestly a situation that Mayfield and Murray didn't even accomplish at Oklahoma and that's Jalen Hurts last year in the SEC title game not one time in my recollection definitely not last year and correct me if I'm wrong during the Baker Mayfield era did either one of those guys bring back the Sooners from a two-score deficit in the second half in a situation as big as a conference title game which might as well be a playoff game that never happened, as far as I can tell, with Baker Mayfield and Kyla Murray, and yet Jalen Hurts did it, and he didn't have the benefici- uh, the, 
the benefits of playing that much at all last season. He came in cold off the bench and still did it against a really good Georgia team. Would you agree with that premise? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how... I'm I'm not entirely sure how relevant it is, but... I mean, yeah, that's that, that's certainly a skin on on Jalen Hurts' wall. Not to say that it isn't relevant. I mean, what he did against Georgia, and I've alluded to it in the past as well, was really impressive. I thought it was. I thought that was by far the best football game of the 2018 season, and just sort of the the cherry on top was was Jalen Hurts relieving an injured Tua and then bringing him back from two scores down. That was a great story, but I don't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything for the 2019 season. Sure, and I brought that up. Hurts in the SEC title game in response to this quote from Ingle's story. Hurts is a good player who needs players around him, whereas guys like Baker and Kyler were better than everybody else. Baker and Kyler could make a series or a game one on 11 and win. And so that was my counterpunch to that statement is he's exactly right about that when it comes to Mayfield and Murray, but also Jalen Hurts with the game on the line and the game on his shoulders brought his team back against a really good team in a situation that was do or die for Alabama. And that was really impressive. So he's got the capabilities of doing exactly what, as far as uh, bringing his team back goes, that Mayfield and Murray did for Oklahoma. I don't know. I, yeah, I guess just the whole, the whole idea that, hey, you had the two Heisman Trophy winners, ipso facto, you should have won a national title, is just kind of a lazy argument. It completely goes over the other team that you're playing. So, like, I just, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray aren't going against Alabama's offense. They just went against, you know, their defenses or, you know, Alabama and Georgia's defense. And then Alabama and Georgia had the benefit of going against Oklahoma's offense, which if you want to argue, hey, that's on Riley, that that side of the ball, even if he's not the defensive coordinator, that's on him. That's an argument that I'm sympathetic to. It's an argument that I made over the course of 2017 and 2018 at times. And if you wanted to say, hey, there was there was no reason uh, for there was there was no reason not for Lincoln Riley, especially in the second half of 2018, just to say, all right, guys, to his defensive staff, say, what crazy ideas do we have? We need to throw anything out there just to change something up. Um, because we have like a generational player right now in Kyler Murray, and it would really suck if we wasted this thing. If you want to criticize Riley for for not doing that, and he may have, and it just didn't go anywhere. If you want to criticize him for that, that's I think that's totally in bounds. I think that's that's um, that's certainly where um, if if you're going to go after Lincoln Riley, that's the lane that you need to stick to, not just. Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were great. One versus eleven, they can do anything. Which is, which I know it's just a cute little line in his thing, but that's it's such a stupid line. That's so very one versus. It's so dumb. Of course, they wouldn't be able to do anything one versus eleven. You freaking idiot. Um, <laughs> well, so, you're right about that argument. The bring up the defense part, which he never mentions in the entire story. He doesn't talk about the defense. Which, if anybody that's followed this team or not even necessarily follow this team. Anybody that just kind of follows college football knows the reason why Oklahoma hasn't won a national title and hasn't won a playoff game is not because of the offense. It's because of the atrociously bad defense. I mean, that's why. And you're right. I mean, he could argue that if he wants to criticize Riley, the whole genius thing from a defensive perspective. I mean, make that argument. It's fair. He doesn't do that. And he weirdly decides to attack Riley over offense. A guy that is obviously 
a genius when it comes to offense and between the NFL and college football might be the the smartest guy in offense right now. And I, I mean, I just, I don't know what games he was watching in those playoffs, but the offense wasn't the problem against Georgia and Alabama. So I, I just, I don't, I don't know. The, the, he seems to think that he seems to think that, and I talked about this in my opening take that you'll listen to when you hear it back, but uh, he infers that Mayfield and Murray kind of made Riley. Like if it wasn't for those two guys that Riley, uh, you know, Riley wouldn't be considered the genius that he is by a lot of people because, you know, offensively. And it's like anything, there's nuance involved. It's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, Riley always talks about how incredibly special Mayfield and Murray both are. But also, it's pretty obvious that Lincoln Riley put them in incredible situations and just taught them a bunch of things about the game that another coach just would not have. And I provided a couple of examples. Other coaches did not get the most out of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech didn't commit to Mayfield, didn't see it. And then in the NFL, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley found a way to mismanage Baker Mayfield. And then Freddie Kitchens came in and listened to Baker and took some took some of the ideas from college that Mayfield used a lot of the times. And he had an open mind. And just like that, in the last half of the season, Mayfield was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And then with Kyler Murray, obviously the only other coach in college is Kevin Sumlin. And that was a whole disaster as one year in College Station. Yeah, basically what I'm saying is if, if you want to question the genius of Lincoln Riley here starting his third year as a head coach at OU, totally in bounds. And 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 saying, hey, he just had two back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. Maybe that has a lot to do with his early success as a head coach. Completely in bounds. Um, but I, I don't know, make your argument. Don't just don't just throw out sentences there and hope that it magically forms an argument. <laughs> yeah, using uh Jalen Hurts and just kind of random Making the argument based off of the offense is just not the way to go when it comes to Riley because, I mean, he had really good quarterback play at East Carolina. Uh, not to this level, but that's East Carolina. They didn't have the same kind of talent as uh, Oklahoma. And where else was he? I mean, was he, at, he was at Texas Tech, but, I mean, was he... Hey, no, Lincoln Riley, I mean, like, you don't need to defend Lincoln Riley's credentials at this point. His credentials, I, I are, his, his credentials are exemplary. At, at, okay. at, for someone at this at this stage in his career, and if you want to, yeah, if 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 you want to maybe pause and question his success thus far because of two Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, I think that's completely fair. But like I said, you know, my my main complaint is just with the guy just didn't make an argument. He just he just he just wrote facts in in paragraphs like. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray played quarterback for Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley was their quarterback. Jalen Hurts is now the quarterback. This is why Lincoln Riley is not a genius. It was, it's just a bad column is all. <laughs> and I'm not sure how many columns he writes per week. I mean, maybe he writes one every single day. And I mean, it's tough sure, to come up with Sure, sure. Yeah, time, I, I, was, I, I was... That just was a bizarre angle to take. Yeah, from, I, I was uh, probably a little too hard on him 10 minutes or so ago saying that he's not particularly talented. I'm sure he's... I'm, I'm sure he's got to write multiple, you know multiple columns like that per week and I'm going to give him a break big 12 media days was awful last week and so he was probably just <laughs> trying to salvage anything he possibly could out of it so I, I I was a little I was probably a little overboard there but at the same time it's 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 not a not a convincing column at all all right Grant well you want to get into a story that uh, you brought to my attention around the fourth of July Does that sound good sure man you know for whatever reason we didn't get a chance to talk about this on the podcast 
And I think youth kind of thought we did, but I, I don't recall talking about it. So we're going to do it now. And it's a story of Joshua Eaton, a four-star cornerback from the state of Texas. He was quoted in a Rivals article by Sam Spiegelman. And Eaton was talking about his first trip to Oklahoma, his first trip to Norman. And he said this, quote, Coach Grinch did the best he could in the time we had. He told me what it is, straight up. Oklahoma is hurting at defensive back. They're hurting on defense. Basically, he told me that if there was not one person from the defense that could go to the NFL right now, that's different. That's keeping it real with what's going on. Most coaches trying to feed you different stories, but he's telling me the real. He's showing me the real, and I'm hearing the real. I heard it, end quote. Just to reiterate, the main part of the, the quote that everybody was latching onto, and the actual Rivals article, I think, do you think there's a typo in this, Grant? He says, basically, he told me that if there was not one person from the defense that could go to the NFL right now. Do you think there's a typo there? It should say, he told me that there was not one person from the defense that could go to the NFL right now. I don't know. It could have just been word, like, I don't know, just word vomit from from Joshua from, uh, Eaton as well. Just like, just he's trying to find his words and he just throws a random in there. Okay, I mean, yeah. that, that would happen. I, I don't know. It could be. It, I don't really, does it really matter? Not that it, no, not that that. The if really makes a difference. It's just weird that, because, anyways. Um, so that's that was the quote. Fast forward to last week at Big 12 Football Media Days, and Lincoln Riley was asked about that quote. And I got to credit Braden Conover. Conover. Sorry if I mispronounce your name, Braden. Uh, he's at Sooners Wire, and he has this following Lincoln Riley quote. Alex Grinch had a conversation with a recruit that, just like anything in this world, you say one thing, and then he says one thing to a reporter, and then the reporter has nothing to do with Oklahoma, and then he writes it some way, and that's what happens. End quote. That's what Riley told Sooners Wire at Big 12 Media Days. And then Riley continued, that's what you guys in the media do, end quote, Riley said jokingly. And Lincoln continued, he said, quote, he's very simply making a point that everybody here has a chance to come in and compete. It's not like we had a defense with a bunch of guys having jobs thrown up, and if you want to come do it, we're just, and if you want to come do it, we're trying to bring in as much NFL talent as we can, which is the truth. End quote. And finally, even more from Riley. Again, we're crediting Sooners Wire for these quotes. Quote: Trust me, Alex Grinch had his pick of jobs. You're not going to take a job if you don't think there's any players there. We got the players we want, and of course, we want to keep getting them better, like anywhere else. But that's about where it's at. End quote. <laughs> all right. So if you didn't catch all of that, just push the little you know, backwards 15 seconds a couple of times and re-listen to my, my quotes because I'm not going to say them again because it's a lot. Uh, that's the background of the story, Grant. How would you like to address this at the start? Where do you want to go with it? I don't know. When I first saw it, my first thought, like so when I first saw it a few weeks ago, my first thought was just, uh-oh. Um <laughs> Yeah, but then I don't know. I, I I thought about it a little more. I mean, Neville Gallimore is is certainly going to get drafted into the NFL unless he unless he unless he explodes his ACL and his Achilles at some point in time this year. Knock on wood. Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's but let's but way. let's be honest. Where we are right now, I think ever everyone else right now on the defense is totally up for debate. <laughs> um, I think uh, Kenneth Murray absolutely has an NFL body. Um, I think Ronnie Perkins is probably going to have a pretty decent chance to play in the NFL at some point in time. We don't know anything about Jalen Redmond, but he's got the makeup, it looks like. Um, I mean, 
is, I don't think there's a single soul in the secondary right now that you would comfortably say, yeah, they're definitely going to play in the NFL. I think Trey Brown, just with his measurables, is is the closest there, and he and he's still you know like five ten. So okay, so you want to do it to attack it from basically what Eaton said Grinch told him. No, I Not mean necessarily the fact that this is out there, and that's fair. I mean, because we're going to talk about that too. Uh, I, okay, so I be, I'm, gonna, I, I'm bringing that up in, in the sense that I like I. I don't really buy Lincoln Riley saying eh, this. It was just like misquoted. I'm sure Alex Grinch said this, but at the same time, I I'm a human being as well, and I throw out crap all the time that is a little hyperbolic. In fact, if you've listened to this podcast, <laughs> you know that that is absolutely that is very true. true. So I'm, yeah, I'm, there's no question. You know, Occam's razor easiest. You know, the easiest uh, way to explain something away is is probably the most likely. I think that's probably what happened. Alex Grinch probably just being a little hyperbolic, wants to land this recruit, knows that they probably don't have a ton of NFL talent on defense, which isn't really breaking a ton of news, I don't think. Mm-mm. And from what I can tell, it has, is he not really a target anymore of Oklahoma? Is he more interested? Do you even know? I, you don't follow recruiting that much either. Um, so maybe you don't even know. I know I he's, a, he, on the spot, he's a target. I know that. I don't, I don't know how much of a serious target he is. Okay. So, so yeah, a little bit on, on kind of what you touched on briefly, but I think... Riley's initial response at media days to the Eaton quote was kind of weird, right? I mean, because he he basically inferred Lincoln Riley inferred that the rivals writer uh, Spiegelman misquoted the player Joshua Eaton. And when you read Spiegelman's article on Joshua Eaton, uh, Spiegelman is directly quoting the high school recruit. So I think it's kind of bizarre to jokingly say the media will basically. And I don't want to. I mean, I think Riley was kind of inferring the media kind of twists words sometimes whenever the situation seems to be, you know, a recruit talking to a reporter or something like that. Um, But in this situation, it was a recruit talking to the rival's reporter and the rival's reporter putting down what the recruit said in the story. So unless Riley was there with Alex Grinch and Joshua Eaton whenever Grinch was saying this stuff like that, and Riley knows for a fact that Eaton – uh, or that that Grinch rather said something to Eaton totally different. Uh, I'm not so sure how you can criticize the way the quote, you know, was published and went public. So I mean, if that's the case, if Riley knows that it's not true, I mean, he didn't really make that clear. I don't think at media days. But I mean, having said that, yeah, I mean, of course, Lincoln Riley is going to do his best to downplay this story because I, I just I don't blame him at all for this. I'm all for being 100 percent honest and transparent all the time. But in that setting, it just doesn't do any good to straight up say, yep, uh, that's what Alex Grinch is telling recruits, you know, that we just don't have anybody on defense that can play in the NFL right now. That's that's our pitch. Uh, I mean, and no head coach would ever admit to that, obviously, because that's that's ridiculous. So um, I think it just shows that Riley's very consistent with his explanation of what Grinch meant to, uh, meant to say, because. Riley is always constantly saying that everybody has a legitimate shot to compete for a job when you come to Oklahoma, and it's especially true on the defensive side of the ball right now. And then even when you go to the offensive offensive side of the ball, just look at Jalen Hurts. He's still not officially the starting quarterback because Riley will continue to stick to his guns that you will compete for the job until uh, that job is won. And usually it's not won until fall camp is is, is very healthily involved. <laughs> So I just think it's just it's a very consistent look for Lincoln Riley, even though the beginning of it was kind of weird for me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not 
I'm not too incredibly worried about it. OU's defense has been bad. There's really, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's breaking a ton of news that, I mean, based off of last year, who would get drafted off that defense? Gallimore, maybe, uh, probably, but that that's it. I mean, it's not, Yeah. they don't have a lot of good players right now on, on defense. It's it's possible they could be molded into good players. They got some, they got some good athletes and some talented players, but I mean, they don't, they're not running out. NFL guys like Bama and Clemson are they certainly are on offense uh but definitely not on defense and that, I mean everyone knows that the, everyone knows that is that that's their challenge in, in the next three or four seasons is, is getting up to that level and I think Alex Grinch probably meant to be more precisely talking about the secondary when he was talking to Josh we Josh we Eaton because Eaton is a cornerback because I think Alex Grinch probably thinks that Neville Gallimore is going to going to get a really good chance to play in the NFL right now. But when you're talking to a defensive back, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to say something about, you know, nobody right now can play in the NFL because look at the secondary for Oklahoma. You already said it five minutes ago. It's yeah. It it doesn't take an expert to look at that secondary and determine that none of those players are NFL ready at the moment. So I think he was more precisely talking about the secondary as opposed to the entire defense. I mean, because yeah, even then it's, it's just a guess. So it's just, I don't know. I'm just guessing. That's my opinion. Take the kid at his word. I'm sure Alex Grinch. I'm sure Alex Grinch said something or something like this, and I'm sure it was just hyperbolic. It's. I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure coaches say a bunch of weird crap to get recruits to come to their school. The last thing I have on this story, it's. It's kind of a nugget of information that I've learned this summer, but I'll just apologize now because I can't say anything specific because I don't think it's my place to be super specific right now at this time perhaps later on in the year if certain things come out and there's more context I could be a little more specific on this but let's just say that I'm not at all surprised really to learn that a potential recruit said that Alex Grinch told him that the Oklahoma defense doesn't have one person who could go to the NFL right now based on what I've heard I'm I'm not a whole lot shocked to to hear that that could be a potential recruiting pitch because as we know, just by using our eyes, that there's there's not a whole lot of talent, or at least there's not a whole lot of success and results on the field of that Oklahoma defense. And I have heard a story or two about other things going on behind the scenes that might make me uh, a little less surprised to hear that, yeah, that Alex Grinch is not too sold on uh, potential NFL talent on that team right now. But hopefully that changes. Yeah. Maybe with him being in there, it, that's all it needs, or you know, and Roy Manning and yeah. Brian and Odom. This, and this doesn't mean they can't they can't play markedly better defense without oh, Trench. No. They most certainly can. Um, and of course, you know, I'm I'm always going to be on the wait and see. And of course, I I always want OU's defense to be good. It's been a long time. Feels like since they've had a really good one. Um, but be prepared for the defense to really suck again this year. <laughs> like, and I've I think I've I think I've I've said it a couple times in the off season, but. Um, as bad as they were last year, it would be quite the impressive feat if that is turned around in one year. They were atrociously yeah. bad uh, across the board last year to the point where it's hard to even put it into words. They were that. I mean, they were they they were probably one of the twenty or thirty worst defenses in all of college football. You know, off the top of my head right now, just a really good improvement for the Oklahoma defense. I think this season would be. Okay, sure. Against the really good offenses in the Big 12, and you know, there's there's some really good offenses in the Big 12. You know, they're going to get their yards, their points, and if Oklahoma plays well against them or plays okay, then great. 
But it'd be nice to see Oklahoma's defense, especially like in some non-conference games, play some really good defense against offenses that just aren't very good and not give up a bunch of points to just bad offenses. Because Oklahoma would continue to give up points to bad offenses a season ago in, in, in 2017. Except for Kansas like, State. <laughs> well, yeah, last year, 2018, Kansas State. They, but 2017, they gave up a bunch of yards and points in Manhattan to Kansas State. Yeah, from I mean, they were the, losing at halftime. From that Baylor game on, basically, until yeah. until like they played TCU for the first time, it was just a... I, I don't even know what they were going to get defensively from that game on. Can they please stop having these random quarterbacks that never have another amazing game after they play Oklahoma? Please stop having these quarterbacks just throw the ball around the yard like they're Joe Montana. Zeb Nolan, baby. <laughs> the first, I mean, it all started in 2017 with uh, Baylor's quarterback. Uh, I can't even think of his name right now. Zach Smith, and, wasn't it? Is it Zach? I, that that's what I think it was. And now he's playing at Tulsa. Yeah, he transferred to Tulsa. And then actually, I I would I would argue Lee, it's it started in um, 2015, and they went to the playoff this year. But they played TCU at home that year with Trevon Boykin out, like didn't play. Mm. And I'm pretty sure it was Bram Kohlhausen threw for like 300 some odd yards and a bunch of touchdowns. God, I just these, that was on and that was on like a, a veteran laden like quote unquote good OU defense as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's I, I think I think a realistically improved OU defense and like, I don't know. What are we talking here? Maybe I'm, try, I'm trying to think of, of what like realistic improvement would look like or realistic great improvement would look like. I don't think you're getting around this at all. They're going to give up a ton of really explosive plays in the passing game again this year. I think that's a cinch. Um, what I think is realistic that could happen is is that they start to rush the passer a lot better and they start to get guys down behind the line of scrimmage a lot more often, which would hopefully turn into more takeaways. I, I think that is, that's going to be your most realistic thing that you can point to and say, yeah, the, the defense got a lot better this year because you know instead of only taking it away 11 times and all the opportunities that they had, they took it away you know, 22 times instead and they were able to, you know, get a little more pressure on the quarterback, which which I think is is absolutely realistic. I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I agree. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we all really wanted last year a lot of the time was just some more takeaways, a little more pressure, putting more, uh, putting, you know, bringing the, bringing the fight to the offense more. And that's what Grinch has been saying since day one is that it's their job to get the ball back for the offense and even on you know with that sort of scheme and that sort of mentality on defense you can survive bad days by the defense as well because just that one play where you actually get through the line and you hit the quarterback and the ball is loose can change can change your fortunes over the course of the entire game and that's just not something that we saw at all you know the last I mean I don't know well, handful we, of years definitely not the last two randomly, years well, we randomly saw it though at the end of last year a couple times. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they plays. they started making some weird, great plays that in West Virginia. I mean, they had two. Was it two fumble return touchdowns against West Virginia? Yeah, I kind of feel like that was more of just like the numbers, like evening out over time. It's like, geez, yeah. the numbers say that they just they they had to have some sort of defensive play at some point in time, and they just they came in the last two two games of the season essentially, or yeah. two of the Trey last Brown. three. The Trey Brown safety in the Big 12 title game was one of the more 
uh, shocking you, defensive plays we've seen in a while. Do you remember on the first drive of the Orange Bowl when uh, when Damian Harris fumbled at the goal line? Yeah, and they, of course, yeah, and they they originally rewarded it to OU, and basically my mind was saying. All right. If they if somehow OU ends up with this ball after the review, I think they're going to win this game. And then I was like, yeah. eh, if they don't, eh, they might get blown out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this would be a sign of really good things to come. That they just got they just got totally pantsed on this entire drive, but then <laughs> but then they just got got fumble luck to bail them out. I was like, oh, this is a good sign. Yeah, one of the worst turnover teams in all of college football ends up getting lucky like that. I mean, because it was one of those things where the last three ish games of the year. I mean they seemingly got at least one huge turnover or one huge play by the defense that that they weren't getting in the you know the first eight games of the season and we kind of thought oh my gosh is this is this it like drive number one in the orange bowl and then no it wasn't it was and then he just uh just giving me flashbacks i was about to say and then you had like the first texas game where the defense literally did not make a single play the entire game that i can recall um, I remember a Curtis Bolton sack one time that made a third and long, but then I think they immediately gave up one of those plays where little Jordan Humphrey just carried everybody like 20 yards. It was right either, after that. it was either that one or the one where, yeah, Bolton sacked him and it was third and 20. And then Ellinger hit a wide open Andrew Beck over the middle for a gain of like 19. It was a bad throw by Ellinger. He, he could have hit Beck in, in stride and Beck had to dive and he caught it a yard short and then I'm pretty sure Ellinger did student body right for the first down on the next mm-hmm. play. Um mm-hmm. God, what well, a- I think that's a yeah. let's say that's a that's a good transition to our next topic. Texas. Cuz why not? Yeah, I've seen a couple smart people come out and raise up uh, some red flags on the Texas football team this fall. Uh, you know, the Horns they're going to probably be a top 10 preseason team, right Grant? Yeah, they might be. They'll be like number Maybe top five. No, they Maybe won't be it, top five. It'll be no? okay. It'll be Alabama or Clemson one, and then followed by Georgia, probably OU. Michigan will probably then, be in the top five. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and then Texas probably. I would guess Texas will be seven or eight. I would guess. I bet they'll have Tech. I bet they'll have Texas over Ohio State just because of the the question marks around Ryan Day. They might. I'm not sure. I wouldn't, but they might. Yeah. So yeah, they'll be. I mean, they'll be easily in the preseason top ten. Uh, I mean, oh, so will OU. OU will be in the preseason top ten as well. Did you mention them? But well, do you think OU be in the top five? Yeah, I think they'll be number four or five. Number four or five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's going to happen. I think a lot of people out there going to Las Vegas will probably put some future bets on Sam Ellinger to win the Heisman Trophy. And then you throw in the fact that Jalen Hurts is the quarterback at Oklahoma now. I'm going to guess that a lot of the national media members, when it gets down to middle of august end of august when they're making their picks their conference picks all that stuff i mean i think a lot of people will probably be picking texas to win the big 12 would be the trendy pick but uh bill Connolly, we mentioned him earlier in the show the s&p guy that, that grant enjoys and then also phil Steele. both those guys don't seem uh, all that high on texas going into 2019 so let's start with bill Connolly, who wrote up a big 12 preview recently on espn and in the article, it says the 2019 S&P win total projection for Texas is 6.7 wins. And to put that into perspective, Oklahoma's 2019 S&P win total projection is 10 and a half. The S&P projections have Oklahoma State, TCU, and Baylor, all with more wins than Texas. And, you know, I'm not the biggest S&P guy. Uh, I think it's a it's a decent tool. But, man, you know what, Grant? I mean, these projected win totals is uh, they're kind of bizarre because they also have Iowa State uh, 
at just 6.6 projected wins from the S&P. So I think for whatever reason, it's just that this formula doesn't really like Texas and Iowa State going into the season. So what do you make of uh, Bill Connolly here and and kind of the projections and, and what he's and we can talk more about his column or his you know thoughts on Texas, but just as far as this number, I mean that's pretty low, right? Well, they, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say it is the the Iowa State one does kind of surprise me, but at the same time, maybe not just because S and P hasn't loved Iowa State, um, you know, as as much as a lot of people do, but no, I mean it's not that surprising. Texas has when you're looking at when you look at typically what decides football uh, football games and this is the five factors that bill Connolly talks about that is success rate uh iso ppp which is basically the um how explosive your successful plays are um trying to think of others uh like your uh red zone scoring percentage etc cetera, etc cetera. and texas it was just okay at those things and and in terms of like ISO PP and, and in terms of being explosive, Texas was one of the least explosive teams in all of college football last year. Lee, they didn't have a single fifty yard play last year. Really? Oh my yeah, gosh. not a single one. And they only had two plays over forty yards. That can't be right. Yeah, they had, they had to have had a fifty plus yard play. Nope. So I think that's I, incredible. I'm trying to think, this was yeah. I, I was reading an article earlier this morning. They, I want to say they were like a hundred and eleventh in ISO PP. Um. You know, this is why I just, I'm trying to rack my brain around how that's possible. And <laughs> what, because they have a guy that they take a lot of deep shots with, with Colin Johnson. But as I said numerous times, he's, he's basically just a human pass interference. Um, well, him and little Jordan Humphrey were, that was basically their roles. Yeah. And so I, I, I think, I think it's kind of underrated how big of a part of their success last season was little Jordan Humphrey. And, and I think, I think a lot of Sam Ellinger's success came from just being able to dump it off to, to, to LJ Humphrey. And this is not to, this is not to denigrate Ellinger. I think he's, I think he's a really good player. Um, I just, I, I don't know where else that's going to come from. They basically only, they only return two receivers that are relevant at all. And they're, and they're, their second and third leading receivers from last year with Johnson and, and DeVernay. Um, but other than that, they're gonna have they're gonna really need young guys to step up. Um, they lost Andrew Beck, which was along with L.J. Humphrey was was Ellinger security blanket. Um, so unless there's like there's some big time receivers that we're not that we don't know of yet that are there to step up. I know they do have they do have one big time recruit, Jordan Whittington, who I thought was just a receiver, but I guess he's also a running back of some sort. I don't know. When I was watching that U.S. Army game, he was just playing receiver and he looked he looked good. Um, but I've been reading things saying that there's people who think he's going to get like 100 carries this year for their offense. So I don't I don't know where where he fits into all of that. Hmm. Um, okay. So I I just and I I I know there's a lot of people who think that Devin Duvernay is gonna is gonna have some sort Duvernay. of big se- Duvernay. Sorry, I don't see it with him. He's just I I, I see him and he's basically Duran Neal, essentially. I I don't. I don't really see him ever being a huge X factor on Texas's offense. Um, I think Colin Johnson's a, is is good player. He's a good receiver. I think he's a he's one of the five best receivers in the Big Twelve. Um, but still, he was never the guy who terrified me on Texas's offense. That was always L.J. Humphrey. Um, so yeah, and then and then we brought it up last week too. Texas's schedule is is pretty challenging, and 
Um, they have they just they don't return a lot of production, and so a lot of Texas's success this season is really going to hinge on their 2017 and 2018 recruiting classes, um, kind of out of nowhere finding some dudes basically, and and this this it wouldn't be unprecedented, um, but at the same time, you know, I look back at Texas and they're they're now in a full decade of, you know, of of being a and a you know a below average program to be honest with you. So, or an average program to, to say, you know, to, to be more charitable. So when, you know, I don't know, I I guess it's just, it, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Texas has a, has a seven and five type season. I'm getting, I'm getting really hard, you know, and of course this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I'm getting very hard shades of, um, OU's 2014 season coming off of beating Alabama in the Sugar Bowl um, a lot of analytics people and a lot of people who are smart coming out and saying hey before that year pump the brakes on OU a little bit um, saying they were they were kind of a lucky team last year to finish uh, to finish 11 and 2 and um, a lot of the peripheral stats didn't even favor them that much against Alabama when they won they were pretty favorable to win that game how they did uh, they were saying just just kind of pump the brakes a little bit, and I think the the same needs to be said about Texas right now. They just they don't they really they they have Ellinger and they have Colin Johnson, and those are really the only those are the only proven guys they have at the college level on their team right now. Unless you want to throw Caden Stearns in there, and I think uh, and Brandon Jones and that yeah, just the personnel and the returning players. That's a big thing that Phil Steele likes to to bring up, and we'll get to him in a moment but I do want to say a couple of things because you know I penciled in tech Texas is the number two team in the big 12 behind OU and the more I read and the more I look into it the more I'm starting to think maybe I just lazily just kind of threw Texas in without doing a whole lot of research because I'm starting to think that maybe you know some of the people like Connolly and, and Phil Stiller are kind of onto something here because I think Connolly explained something in this story that I've kind of been hinting at here and there with Texas the last, probably even back to when this podcast began, but kind of like why I don't like Texas that much. And mainly when we talk about Ellinger, I always say, yeah, Ellinger, I think some people that like him overrate him and those that don't like him underrate him. And there's just something about him that he, you know, he doesn't, you know, certain games he'll just be downright dreadful against kind of not very good teams and I think a lot of that, though, is I'm talking about Ellinger, but really I'm talking more about Texas because they seem to always kind of lose a game or two that they're not supposed to lose. And I think Connolly lays this out pretty well in this article because he has a line in here that says that, you know, using a wide-angle lens, it feels like it's truly time to proclaim Texas is all the way back, right? Maybe, but only if Tom Herman learns to actually coach like a favorite. And this is what we always talked about last year with, you know, Tom Herman as an underdog. Texas was always really good. You just you take the points when they're an underdog because they would always just they would cover and sometimes win straight up as an underdog. And here's the numbers behind it. He says Herman's an ultimate big game coach in four years as a head coach. He is 10 and six straight up as an underdog and 13, two and one against the spread, which is incredible as a one possession favorite. Now, this is him as a favorite as a one possession favorite. He's nine and two straight up, seven, three, and one against the spread. Listen to this though. As a healthy favorite, he's 21 and five straight up, which is a worse win percentage than as a one score favorite. He's lost five games in his career 
when he's a big time favorite, just straight up, and against the spread, only eight, seventeen, and one. And Connolly says title teams don't play like title teams only three or four times a year. And then he brings up how last year, you know, they had those big wins over Oklahoma. And then, of course, Georgia, they were statement wins. But Texas played five teams that finished 59th or worse in S&P Plus last year and looked mediocre at best against all five. And then we talked about this a little bit last week. They lost to Maryland, who was number 59. They beat Tulsa by seven. Tulsa was number 107. K-State by five. K-State was number 78. Baylor by six. Baylor was number 67. Kansas by seven. Kansas was number 100. And they also lost Oklahoma State for the fourth straight year. And they were lucky to avoid losing to Texas Tech for the second straight year. So I'm starting to think, yeah, because there, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, yeah, I, taking the Texas under, whatever it is right now, I, I haven't looked at it in a while. I mean, nine and a half, I think, might be a, a great bet, especially considering uh, Is it nine and background. a half? I'll, I'll do oh, it right man. now. That's a, that seems like a really good one. But like I, I just I can't get this thought out of my head. If you take Lil Jordan Humphrey off their offense last season, Lee, do they go to a bowl game? <laughs> like I'm dead well, serious. I mean, we'd have to go back and look at those close one possession games to see how much of a, a factor Lil Jordan but Humphrey I just, was in I, those games. When when you were playing against Texas, the one guy that you had to key on was LJ Humphrey. He like well, he he. Sam I mean, Ellinger. He, sure. Who is the guy that Sam Ellinger was going to throw to? Who's the cool. guy who who who's the guy who Sam Ellinger threw to 120 times last year? And of course, I I have the stats. Yeah. I, I have the stats in front of me, so that's why I threw that out there. Well, also a point that Connolly made too that I thought was interesting is that in those big time games against Oklahoma and Georgia, it, it says that he thinks that Tom Herman would kind of unleash Sam Ellinger more in the running game than against some of the the lesser teams to kind of save him to make sure he didn't get injured or something like that. And that also maybe factored in the fact ah, that... Ah, man, that feels like a huge cop-out to me. Con- yeah. Big time. I guess we'd have to go back and, and look yeah, at the numbers. And, and I read, yeah, I, I read Connolly's article too. And sure, like I will... If, if, if that was a thing, then sure. But I, I think that is ultra, ultra convenient for you to say, oh, yeah, Texas struggled against Kansas just because we didn't want to get we didn't want to get Sam Ellinger hurt. I'm, you don't you don't struggle against Kansas. Like it, Texas should be able to show up at Kansas and beat beat them by four touchdowns with their third string quarterback. Yeah. No, I'm serious. I mean, that's 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 not a controversial statement. So yeah. no, I'm with you. And also, uh, yeah, Texas over under right now is nine and a half. Yeah, and, and then also too, they just they're um. They had no semblance of a running game at all last year, um, unless it was Ellinger. If they were handing the ball off to a running back, uh, they were just not a scary offense whatsoever. And I, I just, you know, we'll, we'll see if that changes really quick like this. I mean, they were 98th last year in rushing S&P. That's not good. They were 130th. That's last in the country in, in uh, marginal explosiveness in the running game literally the least explosive running team in the country last year so um i don't know yeah just a lot of their a lot of their peripherals and and some of the benchmarks going into the season do not spell you know a rosy picture for texas but also it wouldn't be unprecedented if they took a a, you know another step this year they have been recruiting awfully well so um i texas is still the second most talented team in this conference um 
perhaps you know one of the ten or fifteen most talented teams in the country, recruiting wise. Uh, we'll see. It's possible they could take a step, but there are some stats out there, and there are some reasons out there to believe maybe they're they're not quite back, and they're they're you know they're in line for another seven and five type season. Well, real quick, let's just bring up the Phil Steele part because I mentioned him as well, and he's he's got a little bit of uh, hesitation as well. And this is just from uh, he's been on plenty of radio shows and obviously his magazines out, which I have not purchased this year because I didn't get a whole lot out of it last year. First time I purchased it was last year. And I like Phil Steele, but it just let's just say it, it really wasn't for me. I think it was it was too much, too much, too many numbers and stats as opposed to uh, putting all of the numbers kind of into into a, a way they made sense. To me, it, does that make? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know you're not the biggest fan of his his magazine either, because it's just it's no. Just, I would feel kind, of, kind of like a lot of gobbledygook so much. It's Phil Steele so is information. not is not particularly useful as much anymore. I'm, you know, I I, I stick almost exclusively to to Bill Connolly. But I mean, a lot of people still swear by him, and I mean, he does the radio rounds, but and he knows college football. Obviously, he's been doing this for years and years and years. And uh, so I just want to just mention him a little bit. This is from. A radio appearance he had on Jocks 94.5, which I'm not even sure that is, but this is Phil Steele. He says, quote, I would normally say Texas is back, but if they had more returning this year, I'd be a little more bullish on Texas. They only have eight starters back. They lost some big time studs on defense. They only have three starters back on defense there. Offensively, five starters are back. Now I'll say this. Tom Herman has been upgrading the talent level. His three recruiting classes have definitely brought the talent in. Phil still continues, if this inexperienced squad can get up to speed quickly, they've got the leader in Sam Ellinger, and they've got the schedule to potentially get there. They do host LSU, which I think is a huge game. They play OU in Dallas, and they won that game last year, and I thought they gave Oklahoma a great run, the Big 12 title game last year, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so I think that's the only thing uh, that's interesting. So basically, he's banking on the experience factor. I mean, only eight returning starters, only three on defense are back. Uh, and also, too, real quick, this is a huge pet peeve of mine, and I'm shocked when I heard it. I heard Phil Still the other day on the radio, on a different radio show, talking about Texas. I can't remember the specifics on Texas, but he mispronounced Sam Ellinger's last name, which is ridiculous considering he's been a prominent quarterback for like that. This is like the third year now. He he said Sam Ellinger, and he in multiple times like he didn't. So Phil Still somehow is mispronouncing Sam Ellinger's name, which to me is kind of a huge red flag. You don't know how to pronounce a dude's name right. Like, eh, that's come on. Uh, huge pet peeve of mine. I get the same way whenever I hear people mispronounce Marcus Mariota's last name and they're like NFL reporters. Like, come on. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there. So take whatever he says with a grain of salt, maybe when it comes to Texas. But he likes Oklahoma again this year, I guess. Take Shocking. whatever he says with a grain of salt with Texas because he pronounced Sam Ellinger's name wrong. You can only I mean, get you can only get these takes on West of Everest, baby. I mean, if I mispronounce somebody's name and I don't know it and I'm, I'm told that I mispronounced it, I'd make sure I do everything I can to never mispronounce it again. And you got to think that Phil Steele's watched a ton of Texas football and games and he's heard announcers say Ellinger, 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 and yet he still thinks it's Ellinger? That's, isn't that, is that not weird? That's weird. Sure. I mean, Tom, Herman even, Tom Herman even corrected a media person at last year's Big 12 Media Days who said Ellinger, and he was like, oh, it's, it's Ellinger. Gur, hard G. <laughs> Which may have been well, that's cool. the one moment in time where I actually kind of liked Tom Hurst. I was going to say, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's one of the very few likable things he's ever done. 
Uh, all right, so a couple grab bag topics. Not so, not sure how much time we're going to spend on this stuff, but Pat Fitzgerald came. We'll save the Baker stuff for the end, uh, just to kind of keep you listening. If you don't want to hear the Pat Fitzgerald stuff, just skip ahead. To, we'll talk about Baker a little bit. So you all probably have seen this or heard this, and you know, maybe if you're not on social media, you haven't. But essentially, Pat Fitzgerald, the Northwestern head coach, was asked about declining attendance in college football. I'm going to try to do my best to, to shorten this. I mean, he basically blamed technology, cell phones, how everybody is out there now trying to you know, get a photo or a picture or a video on their phone as opposed to just kind of watching things. And he thinks that's a, a big root cause in uh, the reason why attendance is down. And then he also brings up the fact that obviously you can watch it on TV. You know, and and he, I'm trying to, I'm looking at a quote from him. He says, "quote I think the fans that grew up going and tailgating four hours before the games are getting a little older, and the younger generation of fans is more reliant on technology. They'd rather have a 12 TV setup in their man cave than go to a game and experience the pageantry and tailgating." End quote. And that's just a small portion. He had about a two minute clip that was circulating around social media. So the question is, I mean. Well, there's lots of questions here. I mean, how I, I saw people like, hey, is this uh, accurate representation? Is Pat Fitzgerald correct here? Or is he cliched, get off my lawn, old guy when it comes to that? Grant, uh, I'll throw the over to you. I know you said you might have some takes, some thoughts on this. I'll let you start, get the ball rolling, because I'm kind of with him in a little bit of it. But ultimately, as I think more about it, I, I don't know if, if what he's said is, is that relevant to football college football attendance where do you stand I think there's a lot that goes into it um I think this that certainly has maybe a little bit to do with it but I think he's probably it would probably be smarter to kind of comment on just the entire society as a whole with that I think we're all just becoming addicted to our phones not even becoming we are um but also at the same time I think a lot of it has to do with that the experience on TV these days a lot of the times is better than even going to the game and before anyone calls blasphemy on that I'm not talking about an OU game I'm not talking about like a game deep in the heart of the SEC or going to like Death Valley or something like that and watching Clemson or LSU play or whatever um I can speak from experience as a Minnesota Golden Gopher alum um, watching their games on TV is better than paying the money and going and parking and going to the games. And if, if, if that's, if that's the, if that's true for, for a mid level or a mid to low level big 10 team, that's gotta be true for a lot of teams in the pac 12, right? A lot of teams in the ACC, mm-hmm. other teams in the big 10, um, that it's just the case. It's just the, the, the experience on game day does not, is is not worth leaving your couch when the when when the TV product now is just so good, and um, I don't know. I I think a lot of the time what we're seeing now is we're seeing um, kind of college football how it's supposed to be the pageantry the excitement of it is is mostly is mostly contained to, to the big blue blood programs it seems like now, um, which is you know which is sad and I I hope that trend reverses itself, but. Um, you could also go around and say, you know, I think attendance is down in like every sport. And I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with just our culture and our society is changing. And it's on, you know, it's on these teams and these leagues to figure out what to do about it. So just for some background context, I didn't know this until I just made sure to do a little more research. Apparently, the 2018 college football season, the attendance was at its lowest point in 22 years. 
and I'm looking at an article by Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports. So it has been down, and uh, it goes by conference. It was down 0.6% overall in the Big 12. It was down 1.2% in the SEC. Big 10, that's where Pat Fitzgerald is, obviously. It was down 1.3%. A couple of conferences, though, it was actually up from, and this is from 2017 to 2018. That's, that's a change I'm going here. I mean, it was up slightly in the ACC, Attendance was also up slightly, almost a full percentage point in the AAC. And in the MAC, it was almost up a full percentage point, which I told you this off the air. I mean, the AAC and the MAC, it kind of would make sense that attendance was slightly up because there's fewer games on television in those conferences. So you kind of have to go to the games to to watch your favorite team. Uh, and also, too, there's way fewer seats in those stadiums in those conferences. So, you know, you get a couple, you know, 100, 200 more people and you're going to see a nice little rise and. Uh, percentage points so uh, I mean you look at Northwestern I mean how much of this too is I mean everyone does this but how much of this too is uh, scheduling some really lame non-conference matchups because I mean you have more interesting non-conference home and home matchups I think more people will show up I mean looking at Northwestern's attendance last year their first two home games of the year uh, they hold 47,000 people in their stadium Ryan Field and their first two home games of the year, they they got about forty thousand people both. So they had a you know it wasn't fully sold out. You know, but who do they play? Their first two games, they played Duke at home. All right, Duke's the ACC team, but Duke's not going to bring a bunch of football fans out really. Even, oh wait, even though I mean Daniel Jones though, I mean they could have watched Daniel Jones. Sorry. Uh, and then the other one was uh, Akron. I mean, no one's coming out to see Akron. But then you look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, they have Michigan at home. They had Nebraska. They had Wisconsin. They had Notre Dame. All those games were all sold out at Northwestern. So, of course, like, I mean, you have a big-time game. People are going to come watch. Uh, and especially with Northwestern, they're, they're a competitive football team. They made the Big Ten title game, and so that helps, too. you got to win games, and people will come out. So uh, it's kind of weird that. Pat Fitzgerald had thoughts on this because Northwestern seems like they're doing they're doing okay when it comes to attendance. I would say, at least based on the 2018 season. But yeah, I mean, um, it's it's he was talking about the entirety, and he's yeah. not wrong. Obviously, attendance is down across the board. So I think a lot of it is just circumstantial as well. Um, if I was in Norman every Saturday, I, I I would be going to every OU football game. There's, I mean, that's 100. percent If I was by some, you know, if I lived near a major college football team i'd probably go to a lot of the games um so i don't know well, it's just thing that as somebody that hasn't really i've never even done this really and some of you listening might think that's insane but and i don't know if you really have either i've never done the whole pre-game tailgating before the game and then go to the game and everyone that i've talked to over the years that that loves college football that's a huge part of the experience is it's awesome tailgate it's up. awesome yeah i mean everyone i mean partying is fun like what i mean right breaking news here and so i mean that's one of those things in my life that i'm incredibly sad that i've never plenty of time baby experience. plenty of time if, well yeah i can still do it but you know now i'm i mean in my in my 30s i'm not in college anymore yeah, it's, it's not, nowhere near it's not gonna fun. be the same it's not gonna be the, i mean it could be depending on who you're with but so my question is, so, you know, you mentioned Minnesota a little bit ago, the tailgating scene, all that stuff is not great there or what? It's actually okay. Like when you're in kind of when you're there, like, so the people who do show up for games are diehards, man. There's, there's like, there's a really kind of small subset of gopher football fans who are, who are big time college football fans. Um, and it's always the same people out tailgating. And so, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've done it numerous times. I, I think I've I've tailgated heavily before every Gopher football game I've been to in the last decade, um, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And so I there's so the students just not do it as much though because no. I mean, why? So that's that's actually that's 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 one of the biggest problems at Gopher football games is that the students just don't show up um, mm. because it's not a great it's not a great product on the field, it just isn't. Yeah, and um, the stadium is the Come sta- on, PJ Fleck. Come on, figure yeah. it out, man. I mean, so, you know, there and there's been some good good crowds there, but it's just uh I, I gotta think that what's going on there at Minnesota is probably pretty is, is pretty similar to a lot of lower tier power five teams. It's just not the product isn't great. And you know what? We we love college football, we love this sport, but the the product at the lower levels of the sport is not good. And that's, but, but that's, that's always the case with college sports. And I think that that adds, you know, that, that also adds a bit of a charm, a bit of charm to the sport as well. Um, so I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the more that we get, the more that our society turns into a technological society and we're already there obviously, but the, but more, the the more it becomes, I think we're going to be, you know, we're going to be having this issue and the, the NFL has had, has had attendance issues as well. Um, and, and I got to think it, it's, it's along the same lines. Things are expensive. Um, it's just so easy now to just sit on your couch and watch HD football because football on TV is spectacular. It's great. So yeah, it was a man. It was a rough year a season ago for Minnesota. As far as attendance goes, they didn't sell out one game and I'm looking at their home schedule from last year and boy, it was awful. I mean, why would you really want to go out to, I mean, they had New Mexico state, Fresno state, Miami of Ohio, then Iowa, Indiana, Purdue, and Northwestern. That was the home slate for Minnesota Golden Gopher football in 2018. So gross. So I actually didn't know this, and and of course now we're getting into a Minnesota football tangent. This is this is a real college football podcast, everybody. Um, I didn't I didn't know this until the first year I went to the U, which would have been my sophomore year of college. And the U is what is what locals call. Uh, the University of Minnesota here. Um, and I had no idea that they are huge rivals with Iowa. I had no clue whatsoever. Oh. <laughs> in fact, they have, and like people hate Iowa. A lot of people hate Iowa more than they hate Wisconsin, which is, which is our biggest rival. Um, and they have this stupid chant that's, you know, like the, the who hates Iowa and then, you know, we hate Iowa. And they do it all the time, like at, at, at all times, kind of like similar to the Boomer Sooner chant. Except they just do who hates Iowa, we hate Iowa. And when I and in two thousand nine and two thousand ten when I was first cutting my teeth as like a you know, getting familiar with the with the team and the program and whatnot, whenever the student section would bust out in that cheer, I would always just be confused and be like, Why do we care? They're Iowa. <laughs> They're not relevant. And and I know I know we're not either, but it's like I'm so confused. If by Why we, do we you mean Minnesota's not relevant. Yeah, exactly. And so I was just like, I, I don't understand how one can hate Iowa so much. They don't do anything. But it's a weird think, thing. Do uh, think Iowa fans do the same thing with Minnesota fans when they... Yeah, Iowa fans do not like Minnesota. I mean, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's, it's not as heated as it is with, uh, with Wisconsin and Minnesota. But, like, yeah, it's, it's just so weird to me. And, and like, this is, this is why college football is so great. You can have two programs like Minnesota and Iowa... Who like had no idea they were rivals, and yet there's just there's a ton of hatred between the fan bases. It's awesome. 
And okay, well, it makes sense. Now, that was the closest game to selling out in 2018. Yeah, that's that's. I, I was getting to that point, and so Wisconsin comes to town this year, which means it, that'll be a sellout. But yeah, typically that means uh, a lot of Wisconsin fans bought tickets. But we'll see. Yeah, the best uh, the best games from Minnesota in 2019. Yeah, they get Nebraska in October, so that won't be too bad. People go to that one. Uh, Penn State. Not sure if anybody cares about Penn State. Yes, anymore, that's but, a tr- it's a trophy but, game. Oh. All That's right. a, that is an old rivalry that uh, they used to All play right, Penn well then, State every year, but not anymore because of the the split of the divisions. But uh, but man, the uh, the home slate, yeah. So I mean, there's there's three big games, uh, and boy, hey, Minnesota plays South Dakota State, but uh, I guess Oklahoma plays South Dakota. So <laughs> it's uh, Minnesota plays the better of the two teams. <laughs> they also they got to go on the road at uh, at Fresno State. That'll be tough. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Well, congratulations to all of you Minnesota Golden Gopher fans. We know at least one person that listens to this podcast that left us a review is lives either lives in Minnesota or is from Minnesota that might have been interested in that the last five to seven minutes of that conversation. All right. Last thing, uh, Mina Kimes from ESPN had a big piece on Baker Mayfield come out. I read it. It was long. It was it was good. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of like breaking news type things. It's a puff piece. Have you read it yet? It's a puff piece. Yeah, Yeah, I read it. So, and I tease this at the very beginning of the podcast. By the way, if you're listening this long, you're still uh, you're still tuned in. We had some really nice reviews on uh, iTunes the last couple of weeks. So, thank you for that. Uh, some nice ratings. So, if if you're listening this long, and you still haven't done that, and you'd like to give us a, a rating or review, feel free. We always appreciate it. Uh, also, you can email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. Uh, and also, I am on Twitter at Lee Benson News Nine. Grant is at Grant Benson Twenty Five. So again, if for whatever reason you'd like to follow us on those social media platforms, go for it. Also, our West of Evers Facebook page. Go ahead and like us there. Uh, get that quickly in here as we're about an hour and ten minutes into this podcast. So yeah, puff piece on Baker Mayfield. It's you know it's kind of good to get an update on him. Uh, there's one part of it that jumped out at me that I did not know any of this, and I found it to be incredibly interesting. I'm not sure where this is going to go or if this even really means anything, but it goes back to when he was at Oklahoma. And I didn't know all this stuff about Mayfield and his now uh, wife, Emily Wilkinson. And so this is from the piece. It says that Mayfield... And Wilkinson, who is from Nebraska, they were introduced in 2017 by a mutual friend. At the time, Wilkinson was living in Los Angeles. She says that she was wary of dating a, quote, punk football player and ignored Mayfield's advances for months. Says Mayfield repeatedly followed and unfollowed her on Instagram, trying to attract her attention. So, uh, all right. I mean, it obviously ended up working out for him. Uh, It says, finally, though, in late December. So this is late December of 2017, Grant. So, I mean, this is probably after he's won the Heisman Trophy in 2017. They're they're leading up to the Rose Bowl. It says, they exchanged messages in late December. It says, Mayfield begged her to meet him before the Rose Bowl, his final college football game, which at the time, this is me talking, we were hoping that that was not going to be his final college football game. Uh, And it says that she reluctantly agreed to grab lunch. It says, this is Wilkinson talking, I was assuming he'd be the typical playboy athlete. And it says that she's four years older than Mayfield. Uh, because the Rose Bowl was the next day, Wilkinson thought they'd spend most of their date talking about the game, but it barely came up. Instead, she says, Mayfield spent their entire first date 
peppering her with questions about herself, her family, her plans for the future. The next day, after Oklahoma lost, ending its season, the quarterback texted Wilkinson and told her he was staying in Los Angeles. Three days later, he moved in with her and her brothers. Six months later, they were engaged. (laughs) So I found this entire part of the article the most engaging and interesting part because one the day before the rose bowl they went on their first date and we all remember baker mayfield was pretty sick leading up to the rose bowl so was he, he though was still was uh, he i mean we <laughs> saw him at that media day where he could barely talk and he wasn't going to go but then he ended up coming in because he didn't want to have his teammates and his coaches answering all these questions about his health and he was like forget this i'm going to go in and yeah he couldn't talk so we had something going on with him and the day before he played in the Rose Bowl, he's going on dates with now his wife. So, I mean, it worked out. And I I want to be like, gosh, I he wasn't even like that into the game. Like he, he was thinking about girls, but I can't think that because they came out in the first half against Georgia, put up 31. He was more than prepared to play in that game. They were ready to go. It's just after halftime, Oklahoma was so used that season. You know, Oklahoma was so used to that season kind of running the clock out as we've talked about this multiple times not as much recently and, and running the clock out in those games with the running game and they kind of tried to do that too soon and georgia it didn't work on them and, and you know second half they ended up losing so i don't know i found that to be incredibly interesting that one their first date was the day before the rose bowl when we thought mayfield was sick and then after the game ended they moved in together like three days later <laughs> and yeah that's you, weird that's super weird. Like, the the moving in part's super weird. I'm gonna go on record and saying I don't think it's it's a big deal at all that he went on a date the day before the Rose Bowl. That's not a big deal whatsoever. Isn't it kind of fascinating that they were actually able that he was able to even get away from the team? Though, yeah, the that was the Rose that Bowl? was honestly my main that was my main question about it. I mean, which leads me to believe treatment. Which leads me it leads me to believe that maybe they that she or he got the timeline mixed up when they were talking about it um because yeah i i I find it says that because the game was the next day she thought that he would just talk about football the entire time and he didn't he talked about her huh good on him because i mean that's what you do on first dates i mean you listen you ask questions about the 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 other person and and you get to know them it also could have been like like a deal where she just came and like met him in like the lobby of their hotel too yeah could have been that would be that would be plausible right i mean it was lunch i mean it was you know lunch is very harmless it's not like it was you know, out late at night or anything like that. Maybe they had a thing where they could get away. You know, they had to be back at the hotel. That's by a thing at the bowl games. They like. certainly have free time that they can go yeah, do they things. They can see their family, I'm sure. So, I mean, it's just, I, I, I had not heard this story before. And that, this part of the story jumped out of me big time, uh, mainly just because of the lunch, but then also the fact that they moved in so soon and then it's worked out and they're married. That's great. Well, good for him. If I was, if I was in his shoes, probably wouldn't have worked out like that. So other than that, I mean, I kind of I kind of like the parts about Freddie Kitchens because uh, it's there are some things that I'm trying to I'm, as I talk, I'm trying to kind of skim through it so I get to the part that I want to talk to or talk about. So, yeah. OK, so the play calling and I kind of talked about this briefly in my opening take about whenever Kitchens got Mayfield and then he was open minded and he played a lot better from the from Mina Kimes' article on ESPN. It says, quote, after Kitchens took over play calling, the Browns offense exploded. During the first half of the season, Mayfield completed 58% of his passes with a QBR of just 36. Over the last eight weeks, 
Mayfield's completion percentage rose to 68% and his QBR nearly doubled. Under the new regime, he landed near the top of the league in most passing categories. As soon as the season ended, Cleveland announced that it was promoting Kitchens, the coach who hadn't even been considered for a coordinator job to top, for the top spot. Mayfield was elated, quote, Mayfield said you could just tell he wanted the best for his players. Um, that was kind of the part that I wanted to get at, but there's also parts in here about how he just uh, – basically he – Talked to Baker and was like, hey, man, like, what, what do you want to do? Like, what worked for you in college? Like, they kind of use more RPOs. They kind of use more concepts that, that made him successful in college. And they kind of put it into the offense, and it worked. I mean, like, the Browns were so fun to watch the last half of the year. I mean, they, they were maybe one of the – maybe the most fun team in NFL to watch that last half of the season. I mean, I know we're biased, but I thought so. I mean, yeah, I'd, they were really I – mean, I'm a Bears fan. The Bears had a great year last year. I honestly was more excited to watch Mayfield and the Browns play a lot of times than I was watching the Bears play last season. And the Brown, and again, the Bears had a great year. It was the best year, year the Bears have had in years. So, any part of the article jump out at you, or did you even read it? Yeah, I read it. It's uh, it's I well, I skimmed it twice. I mean, it's it's okay. it's it's a very puffy piece. There's not, it's not breaking any news or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was good. Um, you know, I obviously I want I want Baker Mayfield to be awesome. So, you know, I yeah. Now the last week or so. Uh, pro football focus and the athletic and you know all these all these outlets are coming out with their quarterback rankings you know for this upcoming year and we're seeing you know baker not surprisingly pretty high up and i was gonna say we're probably be you know this season be maybe kind of interesting to see where a lot of those rankings would would shake out because i don't know i think i think instinctively everyone wants to put brady there but i don't think you probably can't anymore right because, I mean, Mahomes. At number one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess it's between those two right now, just because of Mahomes' uber talent. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, think Mahomes, I, I think Mahomes is a clear number one right now. Like, I don't – the things that he can do are just not normal. Yeah. I mean, it depends what you're looking at. I mean, I, I'll still just put Brady there just because Brady keeps winning. Although I still – That's kind of lazy, though, I, don't you think? It is somewhat lazy. And I – I mean, this is – there's no way to really quantify this or prove this, but I really – do think that playing in that division for all these years is such a huge advantage for them because it's such a bad division and they're just gifted wins that other teams are not gifted every single year. Wait, what division are we talking about? The AFC East. Oh yeah, the I mean, AFC East is just, a joke. And I mean, you know, people will. You know, I know Colin Cowherd will. There was as a whole thing months and months and months ago about how that's not a good argument because I can't remember the reasoning. Oh, because I think he said like, oh, even whenever the Pats would play against teams that are really good, they would still win a lot. It's like, well, you know what? They would. Maybe they wouldn't. They they wouldn't have had as much of a dominating run as they've had, but they would. They would still. They would have still been the the premier you know franchise in the league. And, well, of course, of course, yeah. Because yeah, I mean but they man, it, they've they've beaten everybody. They've beaten all comers. It's just it's it's just a lot easier when you get to when you get kind of six free layups every single year because yeah just none of those teams in the last decade i mean it's like there's never at least one team a year remember that the pops G- out like randomly to like challenge them remember at the beginning of the decade the the jets kind of had their kinda. moment with with rex ryan where their where their defense was like the best in the league and they had the sanchez and they kind of had the the defensive blueprint for limiting brady and they kind of stole some games from him and that lasted for Two and a half years. Yeah, but I mean, it was always you could never take it seriously though because they had what's his name as uh, Mark Sanchez as their quarterback. So 
It's like, yeah, he's he's not he's not gonna challenge Tom Brady. I mean, he's not gonna. Yeah, he just he wasn't that. Like, I mean, they just haven't had a quarter. That's why Sam Darnold's kind of interesting because I think I mean I'm higher on him than you are, but he's got still got a lot of flaws. Uh, who else? I mean, Josh Allen. Eh, who knows? Yeah, that's not going to be a thing for very much Prob- longer. No, probably not. Uh, I mean, I, even though he was like a the- he was a very effective runner his rookie year. But I mean, you can't you can't build a career off of that as a quarterback. That's not that's not possible. Yeah. Well, training camp anyways. has already started. Yeah, some teams. Yeah, we're getting there. Ah, good stuff. Hard knocks will be here before we know it. Probably, uh, probably like two, three, three, two or three weeks. I bet. Um, are you interested in that Amazon series at all? Like the hard knocks, like Amazon, because they had uh, what the Cardinals. Oh, they, um, they had the Cowboys one year, and I think now they have the Panthers. Are you interested in that at all? Because I, I honestly am not. I have not whatever. watched that once. No, um, you would think I'd be interested in it, but I'm not. I know you think I'd be too, but I'm just I'm not. It's more of I don't. It's more of I don't really want to like have to work to get invested in another, in another show mm. that has like an hour and ten minute long episodes. I'm just not. That's just so much time. I think why Hard Knocks is so good is, I mean, obviously it's incredibly well produced and it's so cool, but we haven't had, f- the reason why, you know, Hard Knocks, we're all wanting Hard Knocks because we haven't had football in five months. And it's like the start of football season we're seeing out in training camp, whereas this all or nothing thing, it's probably pretty good. I know I've, I've heard it's people say it's great. I think it's actually during the season. It's not just training camp. Yeah, they Michigan, show them. Michigan did one a couple years ago oh, too. Oh, yeah. That's, that's pretty unique. I'd like to kind of see... Yeah, I don't know. I just I haven't watched those yet. Maybe it's because they kind of come out at that time. Well, I mean, I guess I'm, my own argument sucks because I said we haven't had football in a while. I think this Carolina Panthers one just came out recently, so I guess in theory I should be excited for that. But yeah, but it's like it, uh, it was just, it was I'm last. It, there, there's a, there's a it lot was of last season. It was yeah, last season, and I think Hard Knocks. It, it has like that angle of it being training camp, which I think is just sort of a really unique reality TV setting. Um, and yeah, and, and it's happening, I mean, week to week and I it's mean, happening week to week. Like you can actually follow the news on the show. That's yeah. just, that, that's, that's an added novelty. That's a lot of fun. You get a lot of the, a lot of the personalities of the guys you don't see a lot, uh, are really highlighted, which is one of my favorite parts of the show. Um, so I, I mean, hard knocks is, is just, is great. And I, I can't really comment on all or nothing until I see it if I ever do, but all right, well, that's all for today, Grant. We have one more episode before fall camp begins. How about that? How about I that? Mean, it's we've we've made it through almost I think the entire we're like, summer. Yeah, I think we're, we're we're probably what three or four episodes away from the the season preview episode, the mega preview. Let's see. Let me count this down. So we're we're gonna have one more next week. So that's one, two, three. I'd say we're probably about we're probably. Do we do it? Uh, we're we're four episodes away because we'll do the big monster season preview, and then the next week we'll it'll be our first uh, like pregame, like prepping for Houston preview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it looks like we're four after this episode. We're four sh- four shows from now. We're gonna have to have our our massive season preview wow. where we go through all the different topics, all the individual Oklahoma storylines, and then our our national storylines, and I really hope I don't make the mistake like last year where you talked me into taking Wisconsin for the playoff. I want to do that again. I oh, yeah, I feel twice. like, I, oh, it's going to be way easier this year. You can, uh, there's, so. yeah, uh, I mean, 
I, I mean, there's there's really only like seven teams who can even do it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. So four away from our preview, which means we're five episodes away from being back to twice a week, huh? Man, who coming up close? Is that how we're gonna do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we, uh, we'll, we'll have to do the Houston preview, and then that next uh, that next Sunday we'll record the or no the next. Yeah. I suppose they play on a Sunday, don't they? They play Sunday, yeah. We'll to, looks like we'll probably have to record on Memorial Day then. Or is it Labor Day? I, I always get them mixed up. Labor I don't even Day. know. Labor yeah. Day, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and uh, let's see, it's too bad the eh, that wouldn't matter. I'd say too bad the game's late because we could maybe record at night. But no, we like to watch it and then watch it back again and, and get our notes put together. All right, well, we're getting close. Football's almost here, and... Um, can't wait all right grant any other final thoughts as we ramble on through the end of this podcast i had something like 10 minutes ago but it totally slipped my mind in that you know in that incoherence all right well i don't have anything we're good enjoy uh the rest of your week we'll be back next week with uh something we'll find out we'll see whatever news breaks we'll try to think of something interesting to talk about uh until next week for grant i am lee this is west of everest